you know, no one had seen me over the summer. No one knew what I was doing. And the next time they see me, it's walking into school and they're all going, is that, is that Bruno? Is that, is that Ian Brown? To episode one of the Session Recall podcast. Uh, my name is John Conn, and today I'm joined as ever. Well, I will be joined again by Mr. Nicholas Bryan. Say hi, Nick. Hi. So, so yeah, uh, what I want to talk about today really is just Nick, how did you really get started in this? Uh, how did you really get started in the industry working as a recording engineer leading on to being a producer? Yeah, so 30 years ago, um, very long time ago now. Um, I was um, still at school doing my GCSEs and one afternoon I was wandering down Monmouth High Street and I bumped into a friend of mine, Darren Gayler, who um, I used to go to gigs with and was also a fellow musician and we played together. And he'd taken a job at Rockford a couple of years earlier, but he was leaving to go to um, the Guitar Institute in London and he said to me there's going to be a vacancy at Rockfield and I think you'd really enjoy the job and I think you'd be really good at it so I hadn't really thought about that my plan was to finish my exams go to sixth form and then go on to uni um, but I said yeah sounds good I mean growing up in Monmouth everybody knows about Rockfield you regularly see all the bands walking around the high street and you knew this studio was there and because I had a massive uh, passion for music as well and was in bands obviously Rockfield was this amazing place that we never got to go to um, growing up, but we all knew about. So he said, all right, I'll sort, yeah, I'll sort it out then. So um, he got me an interview for the Friday afternoon and I finished my last GCSE on the Friday. And then my dad picked me up and took me over to Rockfield. My dad knew the guys over there because he was, um, he had the local taxi firm in Monmouth. So he used to drive the likes of Robert Plant around in his taxi so they knew my dad and my mum worked for um, a, a, a kind of boutique clothing store in town, which was kind of linked to the studios as well. So they all knew my family, they all knew my mum. So I went for this interview and I can still remember the first time we drove up the drive. I'd had this image in my head of this big kind of estate house or something looking really posh and, uh, and yeah. And so first thing that struck me was it wasn't like I had in my head at all. It was just this farm, kind of these old barns and all that kind of thing. So I can still remember driving up with my dad. And we drove into the courtyard and um, Anne came and met us. And then she said, oh, Kingsley's in the office. So in you go. So in I went. Um, can remember the first thing, covered in dog hair, covered in dust, which it is, uh, has been every day for the last 30 years. <laughs> and uh, hasn't changed now. Wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't have it any other way. And there's Kingsley sat in his chair. Um, he had this uh, racing green uh, V-neck jumper on, which I still think he has now because he doesn't often change his clothes. And um, it was covered in holes and porridge. So I remember this thinking, right, OK, this is this, this kind of weird looking office with this guy, Kingsley. And uh, yeah, he's covered in porridge and got holes in his jumpers. So next thing, the interview starts. And when I say interview, it wasn't really an interview, John. It was like um, 
he just talked at me for 40 minutes. He just talked at me, told me how how rubbish the music business was, not to get involved in music, uh, don't get involved in the music business, it's terrible, there's no money in it, it's been doing this for over 30 years now. Um, he, had a, he had a special dislike of American producers. So I think they must have been going through a bit of a, a rough patch at that time and maybe they'd had lots of American producers in who'd be giving him a lot of grief and a lot of hard times because... Uh, yeah, he was very negative about the whole thing. He said, go back to school, go to university, become an architect. So that was um, that was uh, basically the whole interview. So I said nothing. I didn't confirm my name. He didn't ask me anything what I was good at, if I liked music or anything. He just said to me, this is how the music business is. I know your family, so I know you're from a good family. We want to employ someone local. Um, music business is shit, so don't bother. But if when you get home, you decide you want to do it, give me a call. And, um, yeah, you can start. And that was, uh, I think, so by the time I, I mean, I got back in the car with my dad and my dad said, how did that go? And I just said, I have no idea. And my dad just went, yep, that sounds about right. Um, he says, what are you going to do? And I th- just said, well, I would do it. By the time I'd got home, I decided I was going to give it a go. I mean, my life had just taken this kind of quick turn. I mean, I still had all my info about my exams in my head and all of a sudden I'm agreeing to this job. And, um, Yes, yeah, so I got up Saturday morning, did my paper round. Um, that was the last time I did that. And then Sunday got up and I had a Sunday job at a place called Homestar DIY. So I finished there. And then Monday morning, my dad took me down. And that was it. My first day at Rockfield Studios on the Monday morning. Literally finished exams Friday, started on the Monday. So just for context, I mean, what year was were we looking at there for when you started? So 93. So this would have been June 93. 93. What I find amazing is the very first conversation, like the first session I worked with on you, worked with with you, and <laughs> I think it was at trademarks, and Great Kingsley band, said exactly the same thing. There's no money in music. <laughs> we might as well give up. I've been doing this for hundreds of years and I've never made a penny. Yeah, and so we might as well close up shop tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's been his regular <laughs> story about about recording studios that they don't make any money and um, you know, but they're still going. They're yeah, the first residential yeah. and they'll, they'll be the last. Um, still going, <laughs> still as crazy as ever down there, but still just yeah. one of the most amazing places so, to make music in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, so your first day at Rockfield, was it like an induction day? Did you have like, you know, did you get shown the ropes or were you straight in on the session? Yeah, uh, no no induction, no ropes, <laughs> no, no, no health and safety. <laughs> no, not, not that existed in 1993 anyway. But... Um, yeah, met, met Kingsley and um lovely man called Gavin Christmas on the driveway. Gavin was um, the maintenance guy along with Otto, the legend. And uh, met there, met Kingsley. Kingsley handed me some keys and said, don't lose the keys, boy. So, Which he's been saying to everyone for the last 30 years since I've been there. So one of his things, don't lose the keys, will you? Don't lose the keys. Um, so he just handed me the keys and then said, off you go, good luck. Um, Gavin took me in the studio and there was um, Simon Dawson, engineer who would become a great mentor and um, kind of great friend um, for me. And yeah, so he was there, kind of explained to me just, you know, do this, do that, some basic things I could do, make the team, make the coffee, keep the place tidy, but just sit there, gave me a chair, sit there, take it all in. Any questions, just let me know. Um, and that was it. And uh, yeah, I had these keys to this like, amazing studio and I was 16 years of age and it was day one and I didn't really know what I didn't even know at that point what my job was I didn't know 
what I'd got a job as. No one had told me, uh, you know, what what it was. I kind of had an idea that it was a tape-op stroke, stroke assistant, stroke T-boy, um, but no one had actually said anything. Um, and, yeah. In charge of the keys, Nick? Yeah, I was about, I had the keys. <laughs> keys of the city. And what was the... Um, what was the first band that you were working on, or who was? What was the first session that you worked on, on that first day? So I walked in, and then, as I said, Simon was there, and then he introduced me to the producer, and immediately I recognised the producer. It was a guy called Andy Wallace, legendary producer, uh, mix engineer, um, and he'd just done Nevermind, so I, he was kind of legendary at that time, and still is. But um, yeah, so he introduced me to him. He introduced me to the band, which was a band called Sepultura. And I knew all about Sepultura because my best mate at school, Stephen Fleetwood, was a massive Sepultura fan. So I'm thinking, right, here I am, day one. There's Andy Wallace, just then never mind. And there's Sepultura, who I know all about because my best mate is a massive fan of them. Um, and they were brilliant and they were all great. Andy, what a lovely man. He kind of looked after me that session, um, answered loads of questions. And obviously I was like a sponge and I was nervous as well, but excited. I was, didn't have no fear at that age of 16. Had no idea how records were made or what was going on. But he took the time with me and was, and was brilliant. And the band were great. We had a great summer hanging out with them, went out into town, showed them like a lot of the local pubs and kind of... Yeah, they all took me uh, took me into the session and um, had a great time. So at the time, obviously, like, this is early nineties. What would um, what were the average session lengths? What would you be expecting to kind of be doing? Um, how long would the sessions be? So, so back then, it, from uh, talking to Simon, like I was on a month with them guys, and I think they'd been in for a couple of weeks before that. So that kind of six week period seemed to be the norm, really. So bands would book six, mm. maybe eight weeks. Um, they might have done four weeks um, pre-production and rehearsals somewhere else. And then they'd go off to London for a couple of weeks afterwards to mix it. So generally the session's about 12 weeks long um, with six yeah. to eight weeks of that being in Rockfield or, you know, somewhere else. But yeah, and usually start to finish bands would do the whole, the whole album there and then go off somewhere else to mix it. And that was kind of average that six weeks. Um, yeah kind of sessions session lengths we can only dream of now nowadays you do very very few records that you know take take that much time that kind of 12 week yeah. period what was the next couple of sessions that you worked on after that so i did a couple of a couple of days here and there just to helping out and actually helped um with some building work for a few days after sepultura left which was putting in the booths down the side of the quadrangle studio and refitting the ceiling oh, okay. with dave charles and it was at that point a kind of I got called over to the office because at that point I didn't have any idea how much money I was going to be paid. I hadn't even asked. I mean, I'd done it for free. It didn't matter. No, but I thought, oh, maybe I'd get paid. And I remember Anne calling me over. Oh, I need your details so we can pay you some money. I was thinking, oh, brilliant. There's money as well. But it didn't, it didn't matter because uh, as far as I was concerned, it was a, an apprenticeship. So I was on, Kingsley had put me on this apprenticeship. He said, 12 months, you know, you'd be an engineer at the end of it. It's great. So I was like, brilliant. Go in have this apprenticeship I'm going to be trained engineer and then I'll have this certificate and um I hadn't really thought about the money so the money was uh 29 pounds for the week which a third of which went to my mum straight away for keep at home at the age of 16 I had to pay my way so 10 pounds it went to my mum I had 19 pounds left which you could buy a lot with in them days John um yeah and yeah so that was that was me and it didn't matter it didn't matter how much it was I'd have done it done it for nothing really and um 
Mm. There, and then a few days of that, and then on to another session. Anne called me in and said, oh, Simon would like you to come on the session with him in the Coach House Studios. And the session is going to be six weeks long, which seemed to be the norm. And it's going to be with the Stone Roses. Was this second coming? Second coming session, yeah. So they'd obviously been at that album for a little while. Big fan of the band. Yeah. I was like, yeah, amazing. So straight into, straight from Sepultura to Stone Roses, a band that I loved. Because, I mean, I loved my rock music. I grew up listening to yeah. loads of rock music, going to rock gigs. Um, any guitar bands, basically. Um, and then kind of got a bit lost with that kind of whole whole scene. And for me, those bands, the Stone Roses and all those other Manchester bands, were that bridge between uh, what was cool and what was happening and the guitar music that I loved. So became a massive fan of theirs straight away, yeah. And they booked in for six weeks. Um, that was how long we thought they were going to be there for. How long was the session in total then, was it? Because it... 14, 14 months, months. That... yeah so for 14 months they get on adding so, like a couple of weeks on here a couple of weeks on there and in the end rockfield just went you know what just let us know when you're finished so they just stopped booking anyone else in um because it soon became clear we weren't going to get it finished in six weeks they just kept on booking booking time on but yeah 14 months um which for me was amazing because there wasn't much work going on we played a lot of football spent a lot of time in the pub and the studio was empty a lot of the time so simon Set, took took the time with me to just kind of mentor me and train me um, to how to produce an engineer, basically. So he had all this time, and he could have easily just gone home, spent time with his young family that he had at the time, um, or he could have gone to the pub with the guys, which we, we all did a bit of that, but he took a lot of time to go through everything, as did Paul Schroeder, the producer, because there was hours and hours of nothing happening. So Simon would give me manuals for all the equipment, say, read this one, read this one, show me how to splice the tapes, showed me... Um, what I needed to do every morning, you know, get how to prep the studio, which I still find frustrating now that says I don't want to prep the studios properly every morning. But it was a massive part of the job, making sure that that was ready every morning for the band before they kicked off. You're saying that obviously, like, I remember like on the documentary, they talk about like the Stone I think you talk about it, like the Stone Roses, like popping off to Manchester on the weekends. Yeah. And taking tapes with them. Yeah. So, yeah, they, well, that was when the record label were flying in from L.A., so so we couldn't play them anything. Everyone else would bugger off and they'd come and then it'd be, oh, what can we hear? We're like, nothing. There's no tapes. There's nothing you can't hear. There's no band here. Um, and then the weekends when they were away, like um, what was great for me was Simon would say, look, studio's empty, the band are away. Bring your band in. It's the only way you're going to get to become an engineer quickly and fast track is to learn the studio. And the only way to learn the studio is really just to use it to its full potential. So my band were all massive mm. Roses fans as well. So for them, it was like, you know, they're getting to come in. We're on, they're on Rennie's drums. We've got John's amps, Manny's bass amps. We set up, we're using the Roses gear. We'd spend the weekends there recording our own stuff. And I'd just be muddling my way through it because I didn't really still know what I was doing, only the bits that I'd picked up. But it, for me, it was amazing because I could fault fine without the stress and the pressures of recording a band because it was my own band and it was free and they were just buzzing to be in Rockfield. Yeah. So it meant I could fault fine, really figure out how the studio works, how the signal paths work, what was the, the best way for workflow, things like that, changing mics, setting things up. I could mess around with EQs. I mean, back then it was total recall on the desk so I could EQ and change everything and then just put it back afterwards. Um, but we mm. did that for like the 14 months. So it really, really fast tracked me into becoming an engineer because I was just doing it all the time in this massive studio. Um, 
So then there was those opportunities during the session when there was a few days here and there that I would work with other bands as well then. Um, after after the first year, I was kind of doing that already um, after the completion of my yeah. apprenticeship. So so you've done this apprenticeship with Kingsley. Um, what did you get at the... Uh, what? What did you get at the end of that apprenticeship? What did Kingsley say? Did you get like a certificate, a pay I rise? Got a pay rise. Like, I got um, a pay rise. So, yeah, it was a year, and I was kind of like celebrating the first the, the first year, the completion of my first year. So I went in, and I said, "So, so that's me a year now. So do I get my certificate, or what's um, you know, what happens now? What do I go on to now?" And um, thinking I'd come off apprenticeship wages, go on to normal wages, and he was like, "Well, when when I said when I said apprenticeship, it's um, it's a Rockfield apprenticeship. So what you've had is you know a Rockfield kind of experience for a year. You've got you're already engineering. You've got to fast track to become an engineer. And well done, you're a fully qualified Rockfield engineer now, and you've passed your apprenticeship." Um, and like, so it's like, well, okay, just uh, so what are the wages now? Oh, it's the same wages, but um, we, yep, yeah, okay, and and. And he says they agreed to pay me uh, five pounds I got if I stayed in the nights after dinner. Um, and I did anyway. I just stayed mm. 24-7. Um, so, I mean, it's just done roses. Yeah. So, yeah, every night I stayed, I could get an extra five pounds if I stayed after dinner. Plus, you got your dinner, which was nice. So, yeah, extra 35 pounds, yeah. so more than double my wages after the year. No certificate, but you know what? It, it, it didn't, qualifications didn't, didn't, uh, didn't really matter no. at that point. And I'd imagine, though, if, the, if it was a certificate Kings, he might have drawn it out for you. <laughs> I remember doing a website for Kings, and um, he's like, he wanted me to design a website for the holiday lads. And he's like, right, I've got the website, got it all drawn out, got all, no, got it all designed, here's a website design, hands me a piece of paper, you have like some boxes, and then like the, the writing of the website, what he wanted as a text. Like, here's a design. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yeah, well, you got more than I did, I, I, you know. <laughs> well, mind you, I got a pay, I got a pay rise. I got a pay rise, which was nice. But yeah, qualifications and all that, you know. I mean, yeah, when I started, as I say, on that first day, I'd just finished my exams. So, um, yeah. you know, I hadn't really thought about those. And then I hadn't really thought about the apprenticeship, to be honest. This was going to be my life. This is where I, I felt really at home. And this is what I wanted to do in my life. Mm. So over that time, obviously, you said at the start you had... Um, so Stone Roses is effectively a second session. Mm -hmm. What happens on results day? Yeah, so I guess it's in August, middle of August or whatever, and I think Ian Brown was sat there reading the paper, and it's got on the front page about the results days and the expected, you know, usual stuff that happens every year. And um, he said, oh, Brown, isn't, that, uh, isn't it your results day then as well? Didn't, you know, have you got your GCSE results before you came in this morning? And I was like, no, I haven't. Um, so were you going to go and get them? I was like, no, nah, not really. Don't don't think I need them now. You know, I wasn't really bothered. This is what I was going to do. Didn't think the GCSEs would matter. Plus, I didn't drive, and the school was mm. bloody miles away. So I was thinking, well, I'm just going to stay here. I'm not going to um, cycle all the way up to the school to get my results. You know, they'll probably get sent to my house or whatever at some point. Didn't really think about it. And he was like, nope, come on, it's a big day. Results day is a big day. Come on, off we go. So off we go, get in their car, and Ian Brown takes me to my school. Um to get my GCSE results. And uh, so he comes in with me. So he's like, yeah, I'm coming in. So he's coming in. He's got his big brown flares on, his black leather jacket. He's smoking a fag. And we go into the school. He's still smoking the fag. I'm dying thinking, oh, my God. And all my mates and all the people I've been to school with who were there getting their results and hanging around, 
obviously all about to go out drinking for the day. I, they hadn't seen me for weeks because I just finished my exams and literally then started at Rockfield. I hadn't spoken to anyone days before social media and mobile phones. So you're yeah. not going to sit there, get the phone book out and ring everyone you went to school with and tell them, no. not like now, you, you know. just put it on Facebook. So nobody knew. You know, no one had seen me over the summer. No one knew what I was doing. And the next time they see me, it's walking into school and they're all going, is that, is that Bruno? Is that, is that Ian Brown? And he kind of got explained to everyone why you're now in school with Ian Brown. Um, and it was back in the day when your results were on a, a kind of thing on the wall. So he just walks up to the thing and he's yeah. like, I'm busy talking to everyone. He goes, yep, 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 great, you passed. Come on, we're going to the pub. So I did pass all my GCSEs and, um, yeah, off we went to the pub. And that was uh, my GCSE results day. Not that they mattered to me, really, and it's I've good. never needed them since. Well, but you passed and you went to the pub. Yeah. Cool. I had a lemonade, obviously, being only 16. Yeah, Stone Rose's second coming finishes. Um, you finish it, obviously, like, Kingsley then, obviously, like I think he said he spent out some money and did it up, like Coach House. Yeah. And put new carpets in, yeah. new sofa. Yeah. Is that still the same sofa that's there now, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. So the green ones went. I mean, they're the only kind of business that I know that can do up an entire venue and it look exactly the same afterwards. <laughs> it's it's yeah. the same things, just, just new things, but they just fit in and look old. And... Uh, yeah, it still looks the same. The studio pretty much looks the same as the day I walked in it. You know, there's a, a few bits have changed paint-wise and some of the material. But yeah, it's uh, mm. yeah after the Stone Roses, obviously that was the resurgence of the studio. They'd been in kind of a bit of a dark period and um, the Stone Roses come in really kind of um, catapulted them back into the limelight. And um, obviously it was such a massively anticipated album, such a huge album. And the explosion that was about to happen afterwards, Britpop, mm. um, that meant that Rockfield was perfectly placed and primed and ready to go for that explosion, all because of the Stone Roses. Did you stay on as like assistant? Did you move up to engineer then, obviously from your well, like, um, working with Simon? Um, yeah, still working as assistant. Um, I was engineering some sessions. Some would come in and like they couldn't afford like the producers who had done lot of those records that were there and like Simon and things so they would use use me because I'd been on there they wanted to use someone associated with the Stone Roses session so I would end up doing so you know, Manchester bands and um yeah on other sessions and I was assisting for other amazing producers at the time as well um with lots of bands mm. um and then yeah so still working for Rockfield and I worked stayed employed for Rockfield until um I met Mr Owen Morris who kind of hit it off with and i ended up uh, going freelance to work on all his sessions how did you meet owen was it just from work did he just come in and yeah session he basically came it? in with ash for 1977 so another amazing uh, amazing album uh, amazing guys what what a session that was the 1977 session is one that will live me forever it's just amazing time we i mean they're saying we're the same age they were just straight out of school um they just finished their a levels when they came um, so we're the same age, so you know, same age, same interest, um, and with Owen Morris at the helm, complete and utter nutter. So yeah, brilliant album, and obviously that album went on to become really successful. Um, and then from then, I had to go freelance to kind of work on all of Owen's sessions, which weren't always at Rockfield, but the majority of them were. And we still were you coming back and doing yeah, sessions for I, Rockfield I, as well, was, I was still really employed at Rockfield it was just I was on a freelance basis as opposed to I mean I think at that point all the assistants became freelance rather than work for the studios but um yeah I yeah. was still in Rockfield day in day out unless I had to go and do something with Owen 
I think that's a really good place to leave it there for part one of this podcast. I think we're going to be picking this up now for the Britpop years with Nick in Rockfield and the other bands that he's worked with. And following on that then as well, we'll be looking at obviously his time in Leaders Farm. And then the final stage is obviously like coming up to like present day Leaders Vale and the record label Flip Flop Records. What we'd really like obviously is a new podcast. We're still obviously trying to find our feet. Um, any feedback, any reviews and stuff, we'd be really appreciative if you could give us some feedback or let us know what you think. If you have any questions, you can do that on podcast at sessionrecall.com. And what we'd also ask you to do, if you can, um, we'd really appreciate any reviews on the platforms that you listen to, just because that helps us in terms of like, like getting discovered as a new platform. Mm-hmm.